Welcome to PTG TV. This is your host, Antonio Hicks, a.k.a. Escaping the Matrix, and Miss Zen Master Emily Leslie. In this episode of Real Talk and Conversation with today's candidate, I welcome on my special guest, Rogelio Arcilla, candidate for Atlanta City Council, District 4. Rogelio was raised in, in the city of Atlanta in an, immigrant, in an immigrant household by a single mother. Rogelio understands what it means to go through struggle with his mom working multiple jobs to care for him and his sister. And with the help of the community, he understands what it means to be raised by a village. Welcome on to the show, Rogelio. Yo, what up, Antonio? Emily, good to see y'all. Good intro. Yeah, she, she, she know how like I call her the Zen master. <laughs> Zen master. She is a Zen master. Uh, Leslie. Uh, good intro. I'm here chilling, hydrating, uh, just kicking it. Lovely afternoon behind me. But um, other than that, I'm, al- I'm alive. Uh, not quite full health, but, you know, getting there. So who is uh, Rogelio? I didn't even know you was from Atlanta, to be honest with you. So I apologize for that. You said you didn't know I was from Atlanta? No, I did not know you were from Atlanta. Uh, a lot of people say that and it's like I you know so much of Atlanta has moving parts like when I say that I mean like gotten the hell out of Atlanta so Mm -hmm. the people that do know me either live on a different side of town or have left for like you know Austin I don't know DC up north and so uh, yes I am a product of Atlanta uh, but recently I've been Ever since 2016, 2017, I've been kind of a, a hermit uh, until I got into real, really, really into organizing. But even then, I still kept to myself, I feel, to a degree. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm from Atlanta and, uh, you know, yeah, I'm here now, physically present. <laughs> what part of Atlanta did you grow up in? I grew up over off off uh, Bowen and Bankhead, and if you go there now, it's it's called the quote unquote Upper uh, West Side or West Atlanta, West. Uh-huh. And so, I can't I can't drive through that part anymore because it's like, I drive through and I'm like, you gotta fucking be kidding me! This is like, this is not this is not home. This is, I don't even I don't even recognize this place. So, welcome to know, gentrification. Yeah, and over there, I mean. The development went, it ran wild, it ran fast. I was displaced mm-hmm. fast. So it was like. So, I mean, well, how old are you? If you don't mind me asking that. 31. Okay. So, how old were you back in 1996? I ain't ready to do the math. I'm still trying to wake up. 90, I was six years old. 90, I was born 1990. Okay. Yeah, we talk about it. I know I talk about it a lot. Especially we talked about it on the radio station too. So yeah, shout out to um, Keeping It Real Politically, AtlantaTalks.com uh, <laughs> radio show. But yeah, we were talking about what was the biggest change that took place in Atlanta. Cause I'm, I, you know, I'm a Georgia native and I was telling everybody, I was like, you know, it happened in 96 when the Olympics was coming in. Uh-huh. And that's when all the, the neighborhoods, the urban, urban neighborhoods got displaced. Yep. Uh, 96 was one of them. Um... Uh, and we've had a couple bumps since then. Uh, and then we're coming up with this uh, 20 with the World Cup coming up. Mm-hmm. We're ready for that. That is, I mean, you think gentrification's in the West Side? Wait till 20, the, the stadium, which is a couple miles down from us, 
I think gentrification, the second wave will come sooner than it came for other parts of Atlanta, unfortunately. Yeah, but it never stopped, though, because they've been going in hard, especially like from Moreland Avenue all the way up. They've been going hard, and that's why I call it the second wave of gentrification. Uh, like townhomes in East Atlanta might have gone for half a million mm-hmm. at one point. Now they're going for almost a million. That's that second wave. That's why you're starting to see this first wave start to hit us, the West, the West End area SWATs, because people can't afford, starting to realize I can't afford to live in these certain parts of town. So we're resorting in Southwest Atlanta, which is technically still in Atlanta, mm-hmm. close enough to the Beltline, cheap enough, but we're not, you know, we, you know, you know what I'm saying. So, mm-hmm. so there's that. That's what I mean by the second wave. And so, uh, I think that second wave will hit SWATs hit harder than anything. Yeah, and this my thing is too. It's like, where are these people supposed to go? Because now, I mean, hell, you look out in Loganville, and you think that's like 40 minutes outside the city. Development so crazy over there. Like you can't even get a home under three hundred fifty thousand in in the Loganville area. If you do, with something extremely small. Wait, where in Loganville? Loganville, yeah. Are you kidding me? No, nah, man, that's what I'm about to sell my house. <laughs> I'm about to take advantage of the equity. But yeah, if so, if you if you're not in my situation, you in a bad bad place because homes when they first started doing development out there, they had homes going for about two fifty. Now new development three hundred to three fifty. Jeez. So I it's know. like people that's getting kicked out of certain parts of town. It's like, where the hell are these people supposed to go? Because you know, I mean, because you know, I'm you out of canvas and I'm you talking about it too. It's like cost of living is extremely high, but you don't even get enough for a livable wage. Because it's like, what is a livable wage? Because fifteen dollars an hour ain't gonna do it. No, it's not. It's not. And uh, I know the value of our our home went up by a third in less than a year and i'm thinking this is absurd this is crazy and if we continue up this trajectory i wonder what the hell i mean not with the home but i don't know the whole situation is is pretty much fucked mm-hmm. um, and there's no there's no control on it there's no uh accountability where is the accountability it, i don't think it exists and so um you know poverty's getting worse our leaders continue to ignore it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So this displacement cycle, which is linked to poverty, they're not mutually exclusive, is just going to get worse till, I mean, it, it check, you can check me if I'm not wrong, but aren't we no longer a majority black city? Now, like, question. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Okay. Yeah, so that's what I figured. I, I understand your, your answer, no, but... I mean, that's just where it's gone, but we'll see what's up. But yeah, what up? Tell, so who are you? Like, this tell us a little bit. Of, tell every the listeners about who you are for those that don't know you. Okay, so right now I'm sick, uh, but who <laughs> am I apart from that? Um, right. I am Chicano. I think if I were to summarize everything in my life, it'd be going into that one word. You were born to Mexican, indigenous Mexican mother, mm-hmm. AIDS. and that, I think that would summarize how trying to find my identity in this country, which mm-hmm. is which has been a struggle my whole life. Um, even even sometimes now, um, a Latinx trying to find their identity in this country is not the easiest, especially with the routes that my mom took and 
and uh you know the barriers and the obstacles she had to go through also socially impacted us so uh definitely chicano uh which entails a lot of stuff being a hard worker i'm a workaholic i'm addicted to work um uh compassionate i think i've too big of a heart as my campaign manager says and so uh i think they feel the need to protect the other big heart uh I, I, I give way more than I, than I'm given. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just care a lot. And uh, who am I? I just just a happy, motivated dude, I guess. I, yeah, genuinely, I'm yeah, I'm in a good mood. So, what got you into politics? You know, it's 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 funny when people still say like. Hey, you know, what's you're a politician, you know that. And I'm just like, that sounds so funny out loud, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, I, I was straight into activism. I was one of those that was like, yeah, uh, politics, electoral won't do anything. Um, but what got me into it? There's a couple things, but but I'll start with, with this with the story that I've told a million times. <laughs> Uh, I was, uh, I'm not sure if y'all know, food, shout out to Food for Life. Uh, I was there for the, uh, what's it called? That small business that was shut down last, last year. We made it through the, the pandemic, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. And um, I was working, at, I was volunteering at a food bank. I would be, manage it. And uh, I'd manage it every week. And then on my off days, I'd pack and deliver. And I'd always request to deliver to this district or anywhere near my house because we're a food desert to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, food insecurity is at an all-time high, I would say. It's pretty bad out here. And so uh, I remember my last route, I had a old, old elderly couple, you know, this was last June, and I had shelf stable and then produce, and I dropped the produce box, and it, it looked like the rainbow. I mean, Article 8 is just like the rainbow. and. I uh, I step. I took eight, nine feet back, and I'm like getting ready to leave. Hey, this is Rogelio with Food for Life. Enjoy your food. Ready mm-hmm. to go. Then this this old man like kind of uh, it's like he's trying to take his mask off, but he before I leave, he can tell I'm trying to like get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he points to the produce and he says, "We can't accept that, uh, young man or young man with something like that." Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, this was literally two miles from me. And I remember he said, uh, I said, why not? And he said, uh, we don't have an oven. And that that like that meant that moment kind of changed my life because uh, I knew food insecurity was an issue. But to witness it firsthand, an elderly couple Mm-hmm. one of our most vulnerable um that really kicked my ass man so i went to walmart got him a stovetop and uh came back got him some pans as well two pans and said and uh oil and i said hey enjoy your meal i mean everyone deserves a meal and kind of left it at that and that's when i decided to look into a you know elena wealth building initiative shout out to them they're the ones who provided me with um all of the uh all of the 
the the facts, the stats I need. So so running on uh, you know thirty percent plus of our districts still is in poverty. Mm-hmm. That's when I started digging into how bad poverty is and how bad you know we're number one in the country in racial wealth inequality and racial wealth inequity. And there's you cannot tell me that the twenty seven year comment did not have a hand in that. Uh, she was four years old when I took office. Um, poverty and now poverty is at an all-time high. Um, you listen to our forums, just out of touch with the working class. So that's why I said, you know, I have nothing to lose, everything to gain, and I want to help these people on another level. So um, basically, that's what really pushed me to run and just <laughs> the poverty level and just, you know, the oppression against those in poverty and it was, it was a culmination of all those things. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing a lot of elected officials, especially ones that's been in there for a while, don't understand. It's like you create the people to run against you. It's like you want to sit in office for so long, but you eventually create a weapon that's going to be used against you because people that's coming from that part, especially coming from that part of town, like I always say, like even Stephanie asked me when I always talk about homegrown, I said a lot of us is coming coming from here. Like we've seen all the birthing pains and the problems that's come along with it and how we were segregated and pushed out of certain areas and not taken into consideration when it came to wealth building. Even with the belt line being extended, if if Mayor Kasim Reed at the time did not grandfather in the senior people when they were pushing the belt line out, the elderly on the West End would have got pushed out of their homes. Yeah, and I really like the first sentence you said. Uh and I'm trying to like remember it. Um, you, you, what is it? You create the people that run against you. Yeah, it's exactly what Cleta did. Everyone is is out to get her now. And that's what prompted me and myself to run for office because people ask me that question. I'm like, I didn't have to run. I'm like, but I went through the things that the people in my district and across the state have been going through. Like I've I've been through homelessness. I've been through, I know what it means to lose a kid and put a kid in the grave. I know what it means to lose everything that I have, but I also know what it means to pick myself back up and start back all over again and and become successful. So I was like, but to see people still going through the things that I'm going, that I went through, it's tough for me to sit back and entertain that. And I mean, I used to do a lot of volunteer, I still do a lot of volunteer work. I used to do stuff with, well, I was the vice president of North Lake Council Pioneers, and I did a lot of mentor work, and we went around to a lot of shelters and stuff. I did a lot of stuff with United Way. And it's like, like you said, when you go into those areas, and this is before I got homeless, so when you go into those areas and you see where people are displaced, people don't have anything, and even like you see in an elderly couple don't even have access to it, don't even have a stove, that breaks you up. But it don't really hit home for you until it actually happens to you. And when it happens to you, you truly understand what it is that people are going through and what they they deal with on a daily basis. And some people don't have that motivation to pull themselves out of it. So they stay trapped in the situation. Yeah, you're right about that. It does. It doesn't matter until it hits them uh, personally. And that's that's something that has always bugged me about. I'll say this country because I've been here the longest, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, as I am from here, that uh, people don't care until it affects them personally, what you just said. Mm -hmm. To me, if you translate it means people don't give a shit until it happens to them. Mm -hmm. So what that means also is 
what this country lacks a lot of compassion. Mm-hmm. And that's <clears throat> this country lacks compassion and love. And we don't have any of that. We do have some, but not enough. And so that that's a problem I've had with this country is there's just not enough love or compassion. Will there, will there ever be? No, I don't believe so. As, as the, the, uh, you know, as our, our systems of oppression ramp up, I don't think we'll have enough love. No, I think we're selfish. I think a lot of us are selfish. Oh, this country is extremely selfish. We are the most selfish, I think, country out there. Mm-hmm. And the and fact that's what- we have to see things happen to, it has to happen to us to be able to have empathy or care about others, I find really sad. Yeah. And I think the disconnect is just incredible. People are just so selfish that it has to happen to them directly or to somebody they love. And sometimes that's not even enough but for yep. to care. And I find that really, really disheartening. That's probably the worst. I think the, the worst part about the apathy is just in um, politics and just people in general in this country is just uh, part of the culture and really sad. And, and you're, you, everything you said is 100% nailed it on the head, especially when you said, you know, even when it happens to them, sometimes they still don't even give a shit. And that just goes to prove that that's just our country. That's the country we live in. And and will it, it will it change in my lifetime? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say no. A hard, no. That's an easy no. No. So all I can do is keep on trying to fight these systems of oppression or... You know, one day maybe just get the hell out. Yeah, it was like, where are you gonna go? Because even I, I thought about that. Because I, because me, you know, being from here for so long, I tried my hardest to leave, and for whatever reason, universe wanted me to stay here. But when I started traveling more across this country, and then across the world. I'm like, you know what, man, <laughs> maybe it's not all that bad. Maybe, you know, we just need to make some changes and then, you know, we can be a little bit better because other places it's terrible. They care more about people. So they, what they remind me of, like, I'm going to say uh, like Portugal. I love Portugal. Even when I'm in Singapore, the smaller communities there, they remind me of like the old South that I come out of where it was community based. Everybody took care of one another. They watched, for one, watched out for one another. Did they still have capitalism where they pushed a lot of people out into the streets which they didn't have a certain amount of money? Absolutely. But even in some of those smaller communities, they were still watching out for one another. Here, that's gone now. Even where I grew up at, like even at, well, Stone Mountain has been gone. But then you go to like the Macon area where I come from and where my family is still at, that's gone as well too. So it's like the old way of doing things have completely been washed out of the window and everybody pretty much pays attention to themselves and nobody else. Yeah, you're right. And here's another example, like, um, and where I would go is Mexico in a heartbeat. It's the only place in the world where I can drop everything and be there and I'll be fine. Just because of my, 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 my mom's family is all there, mm-hmm. but on the Yucatan Peninsula, but, um, like my uncle and I will wake up around seven, eight, and we'll go straight to the coffee shops down, down in the downtown area. And I can literally sit next to anyone that it's not like, maybe they're on their phone, but that's not like doing work or they're reading a paper and talk to them and just have a conversation with them 
and we'll do that until noon. We'll go grab lunch, and then we'll come back at night around six. Hit it, hit up the coffee shops, and and do the same. We do this every day. Mm-hmm. There's always like a group of people to talk to. We all end up making new friends, or or we already have old friends. But if I were to go to a, we don't have this. The social interactions here, if I were, and I think it's because of technology, if I were to do that here in this country, I would, I mean, chances are, what are the chances they'd be like, you know, telling their friends, this creep tried to talk to me. Mm-hmm. No, I, I just wanted some social interaction with another human being, which is what I think we're, we're essentially supposed to be doing, but the tech era is destroying that. Now we're working in silos. Now we're working at home, from home, by ourselves. And it's just, it's just gonna get worse for this country. Uh, I, like like I said, Mexico, they don't have stuff like unlimited data. So they've got to rely on, you know, re-upping the card, the burner or whatever, the phone, or going to a Wi-Fi spot. And that's where Instead of doing that, they substitute that for quality conversation or quality time. And it's not just Mexico, it's a lot of countries out there that don't have access to those resources. Mm-hmm. I, I, that I feel is a is a plus to them and they don't realize it. Cause they also, you know, I'll talk to my cousins, they want the new iPhone and all this and that, but what they don't realize is they're benefiting societal wise in social interactions by not having these devices that do all this crazy stuff and you know what i mean mm-hmm. I, know yeah. I, I know i just said a lot no 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 because i mean it's it reminds like i go walk through downtown latonia and you get a lot of the older guys what are old heads seasoned people they're sitting out there like they used to when they're having a conversation and talking about people what i find interesting though is as much as they're complaining about how things aren't changing it's going down what well, they are changing it's going downhill but when you talk to them about the elected people the officials that's in place it's almost as if they can't be un- they're untouchable and they, they don't do any wrong so i was like well how do you complain about a situation or problem and the, the very people that you're protecting are the reason why you're having these problems and you're sitting out here on these lawn chairs complaining about the issues <laughs> yeah right and like that's what I find confusing as hell to me because I was like, you you are upset about issues, you're upset about housing, you're upset about you know property value going downhill, then they turn around buying it up and they they they're increasing the value of it. Your shopping areas are going down, education is out the window. You like you said, you're living in food deserts. You got Dollar Generals popping up left and right, and then you say, well. Well, I know somebody running for office or I myself running for office. Oh, who are you going to be in? Oh, such and such. Well, why would you want to do that? Because they're the freaking reason <laughs> you're having the problem that you have it right now. <laughs> they need to get moved out. You're you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of folks uh, and I we talked about this on a podcast I was on recently. Um if the government hasn't done anything for you, if you're not straight white male Christian and wealthy, um, and these systems aren't benefiting you directly, you are not going to be motivated to, or encouraged, forget, forget motivated, encouraged, um, to, to even participate. And if these systems don't benefit you, that's why we see in these local races, such a wielding of power, either by people who, who haven't done anything or people who directly just benefit um, you know, the white Christian male wealthy man. 
um, then people aren't going to to care. They don't know uh, that things could be better, you know. And somebody, um, uh, somebody I was on a podcast, they put this so so eloquently. You know, if we haven't seen the light, if we haven't experienced the light, and all we know is darkness, then how do how do you know? how to even bring about change how do you know that voting running or our lobbying your elected officials is even going to make a difference because when people get so caught up in the 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 oppressive parts of life the capitalist system that we're in um you don't think to go vote you're not thinking of you know of, of who, who's running for mayor, who's running for city council, who's running for your school board, the people who directly affect you and their decisions, a lot of times you don't have, you don't realize that, you know, that this system has been benefiting such a small group of people around you for so long because you haven't been reaping those benefits. So you don't know that it would benefit you to, to participate in any way in these elections. And I think that... Um, that's something that, you know, as um, progressives or Democrats or whoever, you know, anyone who isn't the status quo, I think um, we're now starting to figure out like, oh, yeah, let people know these elections are going on, educate the community about what decisions are being made and who's making them and how we can um, bring about change in the way that our, our electeds are moving now and who's going to be replacing them and i think that the the system is just such a toxic cycle um a lot of times it just disenfranchises and discourages people from participating um or or getting involved it, it, you're and i i would agree with you 100 uh, percent people it gets to the point where people become very apathetic to this whole process um and it's it's not working class friendly and i'll take qualifying for example uh you know i that we had the eighteen hundred and nine dollar check and you know we had the funds for it it was no problem for us but what i really what i couldn't get out of my head is if you couldn't afford a fundraiser you you're not fundraising yourself because it's you know troublesome to afford that $1,800 to qualify, that's, first of all, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's like more than my mortgage. That is, that's a lot of money, period. It's inaccessible to the working class. Mm -hmm. $1,800? Like, are you serious? That is almost, that is almost what we got promised by Warnock and Ossoff back in January. Yeah, I remember that, the 2K checks? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not going to bring that up, but, uh, that, that's, you know, almost a $1,500. <laughs> I mean, it's like congressional qualifiers. It's 5,500. It's what? 5,500. For what? Co for Congress and Senate. That's like what? Two maxed out donors. Yeah. Jeez. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, that's why is to be a part of the process. It's not made for working class people. No, you'd think they'd want to encourage participation, but instead they do the complete opposite. I mean, in fact, if you look at the Atlanta voter guide on how to qualify, I, I was like, I'm working class, you know, I was like, 
I can't do this shit. Like, what the hell does it have this mean? This is all like, I don't have a master's, you know? And so I talked to my friend who's a political, you know, consultant and he emailed me all the paperwork and, and sent me the info and said, fill this shit out and send it to them. And I was like, damn. And I asked him. They do it on purpose though. Yeah, they do it. You're right. They do it on purpose. And like a variety of things, like I think TurboTax Turbo lobbies our government not teaches how to do, you know, taxes when you resort to them. But that's just an example. But I asked him, how much do you charge people to do this? And, he, you know, he said, not going to name him three to five hundred bucks. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, this is that's just ridiculous that 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 itself is making people money it's just yeah because yeah they make it so hard on the websites to even understand how to run for office and you have to go through so many links to even get to an application and it's like you and they do it on purpose it's not meant for the, and i'm an engineer <laughs> I'm I'm built to figure out hard things. And once I got down to had the whole process of even getting registered, I was like, the regular person not gonna be able to figure this stuff out. <laughs> I was like, you're not gonna be able to figure it out. The fact that you're an engineer and you even had trouble just like I wish they were all listening right now. Just it's wild. I said all the time, I've been saying over a year and a half. I mean, I talk about it more so now because I got a huge platform now, but yeah, I, like like I said, you know, I think it's done on purpose to keep people from being educated and being informed on how to actually be a change. Because I, one thing we talked about on radio station too is like if you have an informed voter, then you mean that you have voters that will hold you accountable and you won't be in place for as long as you are. Yeah, well, it, I'd also like to add, and uh, Emily briefly touched up on this earlier, is this all falls under this uh, this umbrella of oppression. Mm-hmm. This all falls under this umbrella of oppression. If you don't see it, it's right in front of your eyes right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we just explained it. We j- it, one aspect of it, and that's obviously an oppressive tactic, is an intimidation of the funds you need to just qualify. You know? Yeah, it's like uh, like Royce's mom. She asked, she asked a good question when I was out helping him canvas one time. And she said, why is it that of all the billions of dollars the Democratic Party raises and they get actually coming in for funds, why don't they have like a radio show themselves or a TV show to talk about and highlight issues from, from local governments to federal to federal issues and then keep people informed on what's going on? I was like, they don't want that. I was like, the last thing you want is an informed community. (laughs) Tell me you told her that answer. I did. I was like, they don't want that. I said, because, you know, if they had informed voters, then they wouldn't be, like I said, they wouldn't be in office. They thrive off people's ignorance. I couldn't agree more, but I'm not here to trash that party. I've done enough with trashing of that party in my my life. So that's why I'm just, uh, you know, kind of just out there doing my own thing. Yeah, I don't focus on the wrongs and the rights of Democrats, Republicans, Independents, Green Party. Is I focus on what can be changed. Like a lot of people ask me, like, what do you have against the person I'm the incumbent I'm running up against? I was like, I'd rather not even answer that question. Or they ask, okay, well, who are like they asked me this, who are you running up against? I was like, I'd rather not answer that question. Cause I'm like, if you ask an incumbent 
who they're running, who's running against them. They're going to look, I don't know. I don't care. Yeah, that's exactly what they're going to say. <clears throat> and I get asked that at the door uh, quite often, but um, I, I will generously answer that question just so they know. Because a lot of people, whew, you'd be surprised. I'll say I'm running for Atlanta City Council District 4. And they're like, what is that? Like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I'm going up against, you know, Cleto Winslow. And they're like, oh, that seat. And I'm like, you, I can see it in their face. I can read body language. They genuinely mm-hmm. had no clue that District 4 was Cleto Winslow. They, they thought she was some other office. And I'm just like, well, the voter education here is awful, especially for a country that quote unquote democracy is the most important thing here. We don't go nearly enough near. We don't do enough to promote elections, protect elections. I mean, let's be honest. We don't really care about our elections unless it benefits the corporate wealthy. Then, then all of a sudden they start, you know, pumping money into it, a billion into it. Then, but other than that, we do have a broken democracy that caters to uh, a very few little. Yeah, they don't think to to help people out. And I find that we do a lot more arguing and pointing the fingers at size as opposed to trying to come up with actual solutions. Because you think that with the people that we have in there, some that look just like us, they would care about those very communities. And it's hard to say. I don't see too too much evidence of that. But they'll tell you how much they care. They'll tell you, but they won't show you. I agree with you. I agree with what you just said. And it's like I don't wanna I don't wanna bash anybody and I'm not bashing anybody. I just think people have gotten displaced and they don't necessarily see the real issues until it hits a national platform and that's when we really want to bring it up hence the uh young lady what was her i'm sorry and i'm i mean no disrespect to her but uh gabby i think that's what her name is the young the lady that came up missing and they thought about it gabby um gabby petito petito yeah and it's like you gabby pepito sorry yeah, they, they highlight her, but they didn't highlight any of the minorities, the, the hundreds of minorities that were dying. And, and some of the ones that even got killed in that very, the park where she got killed at. And now it's on everybody's hot plate of topics to, to discuss. Yeah, I'm, and pair that with, you know, um, people talking about the conversation surrounding um, domestic violence or intimate partner abuse. I mean, mm-hmm. interpart or um, you know, intimate partner violence and things like that. Now it's um, you know those are are two discussions um, that that no one really cares about until until something like this happens. And um, you know, of course, a young white all American, you know, quote unquote American looking girl is, you know, victim. And I mean, I, it's a horrendous, it's horrendous. And that leads to a larger issue of, you know, women in this country period and, and being overlooked and the issues that affect us the most and the, the, the broken judicial system uh, not even broken. I mean, because it's it's designed this way. It's designed 
to to not help women. It's designed to protect abusers. It's designed to uh, intimidate, and um, it's it's not it's designed. Like it's supposed to work. Yeah, it's just um, yeah, and like you're saying, the you know, indigenous women, black women, any anyone who is who's not a white woman. I mean, it's it, the look at how horrendous it is just for a white woman. Imagine, you know, any woman of color, and it's just, I mean, it's horrifying, absolutely horrifying. So when you out canvassing, what what is what is your message when you're out canvassing to people? Uh, yeah. So my my message is public health and public safety. It, it needs to improve. I mean, uh, it's disgusting that I saw I was looking at 2019 stats for the fourth district and 35 um, percent still make uh, under thirty five thousand, which is close to that poverty line of thirty thousand. And so you, that's that's a large number. And that's pre covid or during covid. God knows what happened during COVID. So uh, what I pitch him is, is, I mean, l- look throughout the city. I mean, it, it's a variety. So how I start my canvases, I, I give them a quick rundown about, I give them like a 30 second bio about me, you know, cause they want to know who I am. And then mm-hmm. I stop and pause and I show real human emotion because I am a human and they're humans. And so I, I'm not one of those that regurgitates the same thing. So then I ask them, hey, so, uh, you know, Antonio, from your point of view and having lived here, how long, you know, you know, let's say three months, that's where it's like, oh, whew, wait, you're in for a treat. But then if they're like, you know, seven years. Okay, uh, what, uh, what would you like to see change to better your life? or better those around you. And I'll start pointing to homes, people, and I hear them out. And then um, it always ties into public safety or public health. And then my platform always addresses everything. Uh, Only because we've done our homework, uh, we did, I've canvassed for a variety of reasons before I ran and I got to know my community and I'd always ask them what this last question, and it was 20, 30 canvases I'd been in before I ran. What do you want to, what, what's, what's, what's bothering you in this district? And so that's how I was able to compile issues on the fourth district and our platform still changes to this day because we recently had a little neighborhood, a pocket of neighborhood that wanted a farmer's market. So we started exploring how to lower the barriers to entry to a farmer's market and exploring ways like that. And, and, you know, we want to promote those because it's helping alleviate the food desert situation. But, uh, going back, I just pitch them on public health, how it needs to be improved and how, you know, even if you're making six figures, uh, you might not give a shit about the, the, those in poverty who, you know, near and dear to my heart, but, you know, there's always something on the platform that'll tie to you. So infrastructure that that can tie to you better sidewalks, well-lit sidewalks, complete streets, uh, you know, mobility justice, rather, you know, you, you, mid, midtown, you push a button, there's there's traffic calming devices in place where you can cross, not have to worry about a fatality as over here, uh, you do have to worry about a fatality. So. Now you got my ass wanting to canvas, but my manager won't let me. But with that, 
Um, public health is what I lay out is we need to severely uh, update or upgrade public health overall. I mean, it, it that makes a sense. I mean, like, even if you make six figures, you still have to care about public health and safety because if, it, if you don't have it, it's going to affect you. You could live in a half a million dollar home, but if you're not addressing public health and uh, especially mental health, then you have that, those community people that's in front of your house. They're wandering in your neighborhoods. And Even all the way out in Gwinnett County, you have, and it, it kills me because I didn't even see any of this stuff <laughs> growing up. You don't want to say how it tears me up to see homeless people laying out on the sidewalks, on the, the benches on the side of the road with all of this stuff right next to them and driving in morning traffic. And all you see is all these nice cars. You have vehicles coming up and down Pleasant Hill Road. And you just got so many people out there just laying on the street. So, I, yeah, you know. it's it, it still affects them what they see. So they've got to care to an extent, um, even though we did just go. We just did trash our country for being very selfish, but it affects them personally by what they see when they walk out. And a lot of the time I've noticed is that person that does, let's say, my guess is they make six figures or do or they're do well off. Um, mm. they actually do bring up, you know, I'm a little concerned about the, the homeless that live at this park or that park. And I'm just like, I don't know if you mean this in a, in a compassionate way or in a, they're an eyesore way, but the way they say it is they genuinely care. And it's like, it's nice to see some compassion coming out of that, that the, the group of people that are making, you know, obviously affluent. Yeah, I mean, but even if it's a, even if they don't care, they recognize it's a problem, and that's the exactly. only thing I ask people to just look at. I was like, you know, whether you care about this person or not, and you really thinking about your house, and you thinking about the the equity in your house, you long as you recognize it is a problem that should be resolved, and it can be resolved if you had the proper people in place. That's the only thing I look at. I can't make you change your feelings or how you view other people outside of your home, but I can help you to understand that if you want a, a better quality or I hate it, to, if you want to enrich yourself even better, we have to address these things that's taking place to help these individuals out. Yeah, I agree. We're on agreement. So how has the campaign been going so far, in your opinion? Because you are active on social media. Those that don't know, he's he's very active on social media. He might be recycling pictures. Talking about on Instagram? <laughs> yeah, on Instagram. No, no. You talking about the stories, right? No, I'm like, you're posting, you're, you're posting stuff with people that uh, have, have your signs and stuff. And, you know, you are canvassing. Oh, yeah. The, those are so all my stories. I post the yard signs. Whoever wants one, you, you know, I'll take a little picture um, and then I'll just leave it alone. They're all different houses. I could do a collage and it would just be, y'all be like, damn, these are different houses. <laughs> um, so my comp team is wonderful. I love them. Um, I love what they've been able to put together with the social media aspect. You can tell when it's me posting and you can tell it when it's my comps team. You can definitely tell by the language and by, you know, what the graphic is. But mm-hmm. um, how is the campaign going, in my opinion? Uh too fucking well. 
Uh, well, there, it can never be too well, but it is going fucking great. Uh, if I weren't sick or if my campaign manager and I just put in our in our side channel, I really want to canvas y'all. Um, if it's we, I mean, we've knocked on over six thousand doors. Uh, the fundraising is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I mean, we have a team, we've got seven staffers. We've got, we got a full blown team. We've got mailers going out next week. We've got, I mean, it is, the plane has been built. And it is flying in air with with a, t- a, f- a full tank of gas. It's it's going very, for a first time candidate. Just for any any candidate period, you would not think this is my first time uh, running. And no. people often think they've told me on other podcasts, "Hey, you you you," and this is your second time running. And I'm like, "No, this is my first time running. I've never ran before." I didn't. I actually didn't expect to do this shit, but I am running. Yes, but that's good though. No, yeah, your communications—they really are good. About you know, having your um your presence known online. But no, no, your your campaign lock is going very well. So no, congratulations on that. Thank you, and I I'm just blessed. Like I said, I I took on the fundraising, and it's any project we we have going on it's it's funded it doesn't have we don't have to worry about that and that's why campaigns die sometimes is is funding mm-hmm. i am i'm a small business owner so i saw it as can you generate revenue the hell i can so i did and now uh you know we we have a ridiculous amount of revenue generated and uh, like I said, for first time candidate, you'd think this was my second rodeo. So as we wind down, how can people stay informed about what's going on with you? How can they volunteer? And if they want to donate, where can they donate at? Vote Rogelio. Vote Rogelio.com. V-O-T-E-R-O-G-E-L-I-O.com. It's that simple. Uh, you can go to VoteRogelio.com backslash canvas. Uh, just to sign up for a canvassing slot. But if you go to Vote Rogelio, that's that's usually where you'll find how to volunteer, how to donate our platform, uh, what we stand for. But I think I've addressed that on this show that it's 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 increasing public health and addressing poverty. Um, but other than that, it's, uh, yeah, VoteRogelio.com. And one thing I do ask of my guests is to to leave a word of encouragement back to the community because we've surrounded by so much chaos and despair. And oh my God, if you watch the school board meetings, like the one I watched last night, <laughs> you would think that everything is just going to hell in the handbasket. But if you could give a word of encouragement back to, especially your constituents that you're running for right now, what would you say to them? There's hope and there's change coming to better your life. I would say uh, to everyone who who feels hopeless or, you know, feels like, uh, you know, change isn't going to come or that, like, you know, Rogelio said, you know, don't give up hope. Um, stay out there, stay active and continue doing what's best for your community. And if that means running, if that means voting, if that means 
um, you know, donate, do what you can to support people who, who truly care about you and your family and everyone and who want the best for you without having to know you. Civic engagement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just stay involved. Stay involved. I mean, you can get out. And like I always say, when I'm out volunteering and people come around me and say, oh, this was fun. I say, that's what it's supposed to be. I'm like, everything doesn't have to be so serious. You can have fun and still be out helping people or making people informed. I'm like, it doesn't have to be all, you know, tight necked and just talking over top of people's heads. I'm like, no, get out, enjoy yourself. And I'm like, if you do that, other people will be encouraged to join in too, because they see that you're having a good time. They want to participate too and make new relationships. So thank you again, Rogelio for joining on thank you as well zen master (laughs) campaign manager miss emily leslie anytime y'all want me on i'm always down um and i do want to connect with y'all individually um so i i I, you know like to pick emily's brain a little since she's uh you know managed managing a few campaigns managed a campaign so yeah we're open Awesome. Thank, thank you all for tuning in. I'm Antonio Hicks, Mr. Escaping the Matrix. One thing I like to leave everybody with is to stay true to who you are and whatever vision that you have in front of you. Believe in that vision. Don't rely on other people to see to see what the plan that you want to put into place. See the plan for yourself. Make it plain. Write it down and stay stay on course with that path and have faith in it. It may not come tomorrow. It may not come a week from now. But if you stay true to it, eventually the universe will send it your way. So thank you all for tuning in. Love you guys. Stay safe and please stay masked up.